0: So today, we're going to be talking about guarding the heart. Our primary passage is in Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, a proverb written by Solomon. Very short statement. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's a short verse, but there's a lot to unpack out of it. We're going to be going back and forth through some other Old Testament and New Testament passages. Um, but first question, what's the heart? Just exactly what the heart used all the time through scripture. What does it mean by the heart? Well, if you look at the landscape of scripture, there's no question there are times where it refers to the human organ, the heart that's in our body. And then there's times that it is also referring to kind of a situation or getting to the matter of the heart, uh, so to speak. But the vast majority of time in scripture, when it talks about the heart, it's talking about the inner person. It's talking about the combination of our intellect, our will, our emotion. That combined together is what the definition, the biblical definition of the heart. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. As believers, we know that our heart is to be knitted to God. Right? The best verse, the primary verse there, Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says, um, you shall love your God with all your heart. It's the very first one. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You are to love your God with all your intellect, with all your will, with all your emotion, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is what the believer's heart is to be drawn to. But as we know, we are in the flesh, right? So how can we who we still have that sin nature and that sin nature is hostile to God, how can we have be in our sin nature, but yet still have a heart towards God? That is a very difficult place to be. Jeremiah 17 talks about how bad our heart is. Big portion of that chapter says that. Well, quite frankly, that is a battleground. Our heart is the biggest battleground. If you're a believer, you've been redeemed, you have that heart to drive toward God but we're still in the flesh, right? This is Romans seven, where Paul says, I do not do what I want to do. I do what I hate. And why is that? Because I'm still dwelling in this fleshly body. That's the struggle that we're going to talk about. It's very important for us to understand how deep that struggle really is. So we're going to talk about how deep that is. We're going to talk about diagnosing our heart, how to treat our heart. How to feed our heart. That's going to be, uh, pardon me, uh, the balance of the sermon. But before I get to that, I spoke a couple of months ago on John 6. And in John 6, the title of that sermon was, Why Do You Follow Christ? And I want to go back to that. I want to do a quick recap of that because really that was all about the heart, now in John six, when we went through that, uh, there we recognize there are true believers. Uh, there's true unbelievers as well, but the focus of that chapter was on these unconverted disciples. So there's these disciples. They've been following Christ. They just witnessed the 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 great feeding of the five thousand. It's the next morning. They're still. Going after Christ and they're asking for more food. These unconverted disciples, they knew he was the Messiah. We unfolded kind of all of that in that sermon. They actually quoted from Deuteronomy 18, recognizing that he was the Messiah. They were Jewish people, they knew the Old Testament, they knew God, they knew the prophecies, right? But, the, and there was an interesting parallelism at the moment, because it was Passover time. And at Passover time, that's that great uh, miracle of God when the Jewish people were in Egypt. And this was the Passover time when God made, or Christ made this food. All those parallels were all coming together. And they recognized, they verbally recognized Christ as the Messiah. But there was something holding them back. Jesus was talking to them about being the bread of life they needed to follow him they needed to believe in him and that didn't make sense to them that was outside of their framework they didn't get that and that's where they kind of were pushing back and Christ urged them you must believe in me and if you remember they went back and forth and he was trying to pull them but they rejected Him. See, they were looking for a Messiah to provide for them, just as He had provided food. He was supposed to come in, establish a new kingdom, get rid of the enemies of Israel, exalt Israel up. They wasn't looking for someone to follow them along. This sounded like some weird... And they rejected Christ that day. They had the option. They could have accepted Christ's words. If they had accepted Christ's words, their thinking would have changed. Their response would have changed. And they would have had eternal life. Peace in life and eternal life. But they didn't. And we saw in verse 66 of that chapter, all of those people turned away from Christ. In fact, there was a great group of people that had been following Christ, knew He was the Messiah, and they turned away. When those people turned away, Jesus turned back to the apostles that were right there and said, do you want to leave also? Peter spoke up in verse 68 and 69 and said, you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know you, that you are the Holy One of God. And we're going to see through our study today that maintaining a pure heart, having a pure heart, is all about listening and heeding the words of God and the Holy Spirit. The unconverted, they didn't accept what Christ said. They rejected Him and they went away. The apostles believed. Now Calvin has some insight into this. Calvin said, for some their intellect can accept God and Jesus But that does not mean they embrace faith. It's interesting. But actually, if you think about it, we've known people like that. We've had interactions with people. I know you have, and I know, I know I have, and I know some of you have, right? Where they say, yeah, I I believe there's a God, but I'm not really sure about that Bible. Or yeah, I, I believe the Bible, but it was written by fallible men. And so I don't know if I believe everything in the Bible. They make statements like that, right? And we're going to see today that the only way of having a pure bar is embracing everything of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. These people who make those kinds of statements, it doesn't take long to kind of start digging And you find that just like those people in John 6, there's a pushback. There's some point they deny the fullness of Christ. They deny that He is God. They have a problem with something in salvation. They have a problem with some other major theology. And they reject the words. We've witnessed to some of those people. We've talked with some of those people. Even in our uh, evangelism around the neighborhoods. We have those kinds of conversations. And they reject what's being said. That rejection is seen by their actions. It's seen by their words. Seen by what they do. And we need to understand, and that's the first point of today's sermon, is everything flows from the heart. That rejection flows from the heart. The disciples in John 6, that rejection flowed from the heart. The acceptance of the apostles flowed from the heart. Everything we do flows from the heart. So let's take a look at the text. It's short. Again, Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart. ESV says, watch over your heart with all vigilance. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I can remember when my kids were small. Saturday morning, they're kind of unplugged from the structure of the week. Robin's heading out the door to go shopping. Hey, I'm gone. Uh, You're watching over the kids, right? Yeah, and I'm like on the couch, college football. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm watching them. There's a, there's a fence in the backyard. They can't go far, right? That is not the kind of watching and guarding this is talking about. This isn't a cursory kind of, oh, be careful. This is actually the word guard here and the emphasis of the words that come around it. You can't get much stronger. In the Greek, It's the words, the best way to describe it is to confine or to contain, to hold in custody or to imprison. We are to imprison our hearts. It is that level of protection that Solomon is saying. Imprison, guard, contain, do everything you can to guard your heart the second part of the verse, for everything you do flows from it. Okay, Pastor Bob, is everything everything? Same emphasis here. Everything is everything. All-encompassing, complete, full to the extreme. Every action, every word, every reaction flows from the heart. And Christ had two verses. He said twice, Peter read one of them. The things that come from the mouth, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. That was in the passage that Peter read. Luke 6 45, Christ said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I got a question. What are we guarding the heart from? okay, we're guarding the heart. Here we are. I'm a prisoner guard. I'm a guard. I'm guarding it with all that intensity. What am I guarding it from? We're guarding it against our own selves. Pastor Bob, why do you say strange things like that when Pastor Cliff's out of town? (laughs) I mean, did he, does he know you're saying that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the perfect analogy to describe the heart struggle. We are born, reborn. We are regenerated. We have a heart that's supposed to be drawn to God. But just like Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do. do I have that sin nature dwelling inside me. That's the struggle. We are to be guarding our heart, to be pulled to the Word of God. And at the same time, our biggest enemy is ourself. That's the struggle. And the important point here, and get back to it, is that everything we do comes from our heart. That's very important to understand. It is a major dividing point between us as believers and the world. We as believers know that our heart needs to be guarded. That verse probably is not unfamiliar to most of you. The, 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 the world does not believe that. The world believes that we need to let loose of our heart. That's authentic, right? Your true self is everything that's inside you. You shouldn't be suppressing that. You should be allowing that. You should be opening that, right? That's what the world tells us. Oh, yes, there's rooms and areas of improvement, but to suppress your real self is not being true to yourself. That's what the world believes, all the way to the point of allowing sin, even to the point of immorality. And be careful about trying to suppress someone else, that'll get you canceled. The psychological world has tried to embrace some of this. They don't buy in to the biblical description of the heart. You know, the emotions, the intellect, the will. They try to explain it another way. They call it the subconscious mind. I'm going to read one author. He says, this is the subconscious mind. It's a powerful part of your brain that carries out actions on autopilot. It delivers intuitive and instinctual information predetermines how you will act in any given situation. The subconscious mind for most people is a total mystery. Yet science has proven that a large percentage of our feelings, thoughts, major life decisions are based on impulses arising from this strange realm. Right? This is not the heart, the biblical heart. This is a shadowy reflection of the biblical heart. This is not talking about how it's all connected and that we are supposed to be pulling and desiring and wanting to do the Lord's will, tied to the Lord's heart. This is a poor scientific explanation where they're trying to find out a way to explain it. Now, what's funny about this is, not all of the psychological world even agree with this definition. Some add to it, some, tr- some subtract from it. But the funniest thing I find is there's a huge debate about, oh, do we try to change the heart? Do we try to, pardon me, change the subconscious mind? Uh, a lot of people say, oh no, you don't want to change it. That would be inauthentic. You can't change a person. You don't want to, I mean, I'm not talking about, oh, I need to do a better job of taking out the trash. I'm talking about, you know, true person, personality change. No, we're not supposed to do that. Some agree, some disagree. Tony Robbins, he'll tell you, he, you could be a changed person. He's got 17 steps. But this is where the fallen world, they're trying. They're trying to understand. They're trying to explain. But very similar to the p- passage that Peter read, This is the blind leading the blind. Man in his own wisdom trying to figure out what God created. Man in his own wisdom trying to figure out that beautiful heart that God put inside of each one of us. They're the blind leading the blind. One of the things that's sad is to see how many Christians buy into this stuff. It has seeped in into unbelievable levels of heresy. A recent survey from Barna, 65% of evangelical Christians, 65% say that children are born with no sin. They're innocent. Not born in sin nature as taught in the Bible. 55% believe that the Bible is not literally true. You can't take it literally. 55% of evangelicals say that. 56% say that God accepts worship from all religions. More than half of evangelicals say that. The Bible is clear. That is just not true. Probably this is the one that's the most disturbing to me. 43%, almost half, Say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he's not God. Types of heresies like this leak in because we rely on our own man's wisdom. We hear things, we read things, and instead of relying on God's word, we adapt that. It's reflected in our heart, and it reflects in our actions. Actions are not a mystery, as they explain in the subconscious mind. They don't come from some strange realm. They come from our heart. It's important that we know that. We know we need to know that. The things that we do are a reflection of what we think and how our heart is. Without that, how do we find that we need to change? When we came to Christ, we were born again. We we're regenerated. Right? Prior to the fall, man's heart was pure with the potential to sin. After the fall, he had an impure heart steeped in sin. As redeemed, he's cleansed. Right? At the moment of salvation, you are cleansed. Your heart is pure. But You are still wrapped with that sin nature. And you have a choice. Are you going to feed the guard or are you going to feed the prisoner? How you think, how you feed your heart will lead to where your heart goes and how you act. It's very, very simple. And this is why in Colossians and Ephesians, Paul keeps telling new Christians, put on the new self. Reject the old self. Reject all of that. Put on your new self. And if you read those passages, it's talking about how you think and how you act. Reject the old. Put on the new. There's a battle for our heart. That battle is very, very real. It goes on constantly. We were born in sin. When you became a believer and were redeemed, Satan lost the war. Right? But he still grapples for your heart. He tries to make you ineffective. He tries to get into your mind. He wants you to use your own reasoning and thinking. He does not want you to refer to the Bible. That battle is very, very real. And it goes on every day in your heart if not every hour. So point one, understand our words, our actions, our reactions come from the heart. So how do you diagnose your heart? Well, the simple part is you look at your words and actions, right? But this is highly important. You can't look at your words and actions through your own mind. Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah 17? The heart is more deceitful than anything else. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? That is your fleshly sin-natured self. If you are going to try to look at your actions, reactions, and words through your own mind, more than likely you'll think everything's okay. I mean, that's what happened with David, right? David's in his palace. He looks down. He sees a woman bathing. And we know what happens from there. Soon he has Bathsheba in his bed. Soon after that, he's killing her husband. Sin begat sin begat sin. Nowhere. He did that for a year. One thing after another. Nowhere was David ever compelled from his own mind That he was doing anything wrong. If we rely on our own mind to look at our actions, we are going to fall. Where do we look? We look through the Bible. Search me, O God. The lens by which we have to look at our actions is through the Bible and the Holy Spirit. We can't look at it through our own minds. And when we determine and we see that, oh yeah, I've got some wrongful actions, whether it's anger, sexual immorality, coveting, lying, stealing, could be the fact that you're just anxious. You're anxious about everything. You're fearful. Are you acting in fear? I do know people that struggle, heavily struggle with fear, inappropriately. The Bible says we are not supposed to be anxious. We're not supposed to be fearful. We do not let those things determine what we do. I know people that are worried and in fear of death. Their actions are driven by that. They're worried about getting sick. They're worried about loss and they're worried about controlling something. That is wrong. And when you find out that whether it is an overt action or something like that in your mind, you have to confess. When we see biblically our actions are wrong, we need to turn to the Savior. And whether that is just a a siloed event, something happened and you responded wrong, or if it's a jailbreak, and the prisoner's out running around doing all kinds of stuff, like with David, and it's a cancer, and there's sin everywhere. doesn't matter if it's a one thing or a lot of things. When we find that out, we fall on our knees, and we pray for our heart to be cleansed. That's exactly what David did in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verses 10 through 12 captures the prayer that David had to God. Nathan came to David, challenged David. David could see that he had sinned greatly. It took that. It took a confrontation for David to see that. But once he was confronted and saw it, and saw it through God's eyes, he prayed this prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Renew my intellect. Renew my mind. Renew my spirit, my will. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take me, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore in me the joy of salvation. Restore my joy, my spiritual joy that I have walking with you. He was dead. You read that passage in Samuel about David. He was, his whole life was falling apart. And he knows that. He sees that. And he's praying, God, restore your salvation. Sustain within me a willing spirit that emotion, that will. He's praying to God because it is gone. And that, my friends, is the only way to cleanse our heart. When our actions are wrong, we see that through God's Word. We have to pray to cleanse. This is the only way to do it. Renew your heart, renew your mind, will, your emotion. Led by the flesh, it's hostile to God. If you're led by the flesh, you'll never see your uncleansed heart. Led by the Spirit brings peace. You know, many times, and I I experienced this this week, temptation is right there, and you can feel it. And you're trying to decide, am I going to feed the guard, or am I going to feed the prisoner? And you know that you want to, but that there's this overwhelming flesh that's tempting you. I think Philippians 4 7. That's a great verse to memorize if you haven't memorized it. It's 4, 6, and 7. I'll just read it. It says, Don't be anxious, because most of the time at that point, you're anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything and everything. Pray pray and supplicate with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. When you're at that point of temptation, pray. And the peace of God, interesting, the peace of God, God is going to help you. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are not to do this alone. Don't do this under our own power. When we are tempted and we're struggling, we're having a hard time, pray to God. God is there to help. That's a promise of His. That's a promise. Whether it's an overt action that's just about to happen, or in your mind you're anxious and worried and fearful, and pray. Pray, and the peace of God will be with you, with your mind, and with your heart. Diagnosing your heart. The only way you can diagnose your heart properly is through the Word of God, through God's Spirit. When you realize you've done something wrong, you pray for cleansing. Point one, everything flows from the heart. Don't ever forget that. Everything flows from your heart. Point two, when you realize that what you've done is wrong, whether it's a one-time thing or there's the jailbreak and the prisoners running around doing all kinds of things, cleanse your heart. Cleanse your heart with God's Word and God's Spirit. Last point. It's the longest one, but last point. Feeding your heart. Okay. Okay. We see the intensity and the struggle of the heart. We see that there are two. There is the part of us that drives and wants to be close to God, and there's a part of us that doesn't. That's the struggle. How do we feed our heart? The battlefield, if the battlefield of the heart is the mind, and it is, then thinking is the weapon. We've kind of already referred to that. Thinking is your weapon. Out of our thinking feeds our heart. Thinking feeds the heart. And out of the heart, actions happen. When we need a heart change, we have to change our thinking. If we think in the flesh, that feeds our heart and sin comes from the flesh. If we think on proper things, godly things, the Bible, if that's what our thinking is based on, that feeds our heart and actions and proper actions flow. So going back to my weird analogy, are you gonna feed the prisoner or are you gonna feed the guard? Paul captures this in 2 Corinthians 10 three through five. It's perfect. It says, though we walk in the flesh, he's recognizing, yeah, we've got a sin nature. We do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the flesh. What does he mean? The weapons of our warfare are not our own mind and reasoning, nor our own power. We don't use the flesh to bake a spiritual battle let's read on it says but we have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive obedient to christ our weapon of warfare is god's word and god's spirit not us when you are at the point of feeding your mind, you cannot feed it with your own power. Feeding it with your own power is going to just create more of a problem. What I'm referring to here is, you've you've diagnosed your heart, you've done something wrong, and now you're trying to feed your heart. If you try to do that under your own power, In your own wisdom, you're going to fail. Now, you have the right intention. I want to feed my heart. You just have bad execution. You don't feed it from your own mind. This happens a lot when when we say, and I I I fall prey to this all the time. I've done something wrong. Okay, I know better. I. I'm not going to do that anymore. Good luck. Right? What happens? It's a hamster wheel. You just keep doing it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I know better than that. You're doing it under your own power. You're doing it under your own mind. Fall on your knees. Pray absorb yourself in the will of God, the word of God and the spirit. That's how you feed your heart. You feed your heart with God's with God's words and God's spirit. Now, that kind of bad thinking goes all the way back to the garden. You know, if you think about it, Eve did not wake up got her morning cup of Java or not coffee, whatever. Guava juice. (laughs) And she did not say, you know, I think I'm going to exchange a lie today, uh, a lie of Satan for God's truth. It didn't happen that way, right? Satan came to her and they just started conversing. And somewhere in that conversation, she decided that her own mind was correct. And what God had said was wrong, happened deceitfully in our own mind, just like it happens in our mind. Right? She saw the, fu- the, 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 the fruit was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. It was good to make one wise. That's empirical evidence. That's inductive reasoning. I'm right. I can see that in my mind. I am right. And quickly, the authoritative word of God was pushed aside for a lie. The first rebellion in the garden was done with that empirical research and inductive reasoning. The tree met her needs physically, emotionally, intellectually. So, why wouldn't she eat? And that's what happens in our mind. In the garden, Eve's mind, in Eve's mind, God was wrong. God's truth was wrong, and she could determine that with her own reasoning. Same thing happened in uh, with those disciples in John 6. They heard Christ. Nah, He's wrong. They didn't accept it didn't change their thinking. And that's exactly what we do. Whether it is an overt sin, or if it's thinking we can do something on our own power. Oh, I can tell I'm struggling. You think you can do it on your own power, you'll fail. That day in the garden, minds, a human mind became depraved. The relationship that Adam and Eve had with God vanished. They had that relationship now with the devil. The human mind went from being aligned with God, to being fully rebellious against God. Got to remember that. That's our struggle. The human mind was no longer concerned with thoughts of God. That's in Romans 1. The human mind was no longer had spiritual sight, but was blinded by Satan. That's in 2 Corinthians 4. The human mind was no longer wise, but foolish, Psalm 14. The human mind was no longer alive with God, but dead in sin, Romans 8. The human mind no longer loved things above, but things of the earth, Colossians 3. The human mind no longer walked in light, but rather in darkness, John 12. No longer possessed eternal life, rather death, Second Thessalonians 1. We no longer live by spirit, but by flesh. Romans 8. Across Paul's epistles, he uses these things to define the human mind. Debased, hardened, futile, darkened, hostile, deluded, deceived, depraved, corrupt, defiled. We need to remember That's what we carry with us every day. In Eve's mind, God was wrong. Followers of Christ in John 6, Jesus was wrong. Both rejected truth, relied on their own thinking. Their heart moved in that direction, and their actions quickly followed. Believers, when your thoughts and words and actions are not in concert with God... Fall on your knees, pray, confess, and cleanse your heart. Let God cleanse your heart. So how do we battle Satan? How do we battle our own sin nature? The model is Christ. Let's look at Christ's interaction with Satan in contrast to Eve's. Matthew 4, Christ has been without food for 40 days. If you've ever been on a long fast, it's more than just hungry. You're tired and it doesn't matter how much sleep you get. Your body has no fuel. You are exhausted. And after 40 days, you're at the point of starvation. Your mind is is in first gear. You can't get out of it. Your mind just moves so slowly. Christ, in fullness of man, was experiencing all of that. And Satan comes to him and says, turn these stones into bread. What is he saying? He's saying, oh, yeah, I know God hasn't provided you with any food. You can turn these stones into bread. Take care of yourself. God's not taking care of you. You can provide. You can do it. Second temptation. This is really ironic. He takes Christ to the top of the temple and says, jump off. And, and he uses scripture. Satan twisting at scripture again, twisting God's word that God will take care of him. God won't let him die. Right? Tempting. And he does it at the top of a temple, God's house. He doesn't go to the top of a mountain. That's in the face of God. He's tempting him. The third temptation, he took him and he could see all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, you don't have to die. You can become king right now. You can have all of these kingdoms. You don't have to do God's plan. I will give you all these kingdoms. Just worship me. One time, five minutes. Worship me. You get it all. You can subvert God's plan. All three. And if you're not familiar with Matthew 4 and that temptation, go there and read. All three of those temptations, Christ met with Scripture. He did not use his own reasoning. He didn't give uh, Satan a lecture. He quoted God's word. And that's how we need to meet the same problems. Feeding our mind, feeding our heart comes from God's word. And then out of it, our actions will follow. We choose how to think. Eve chose to think on a lie, think on her own reasoning. Christ chose the Word of God. So, conclusion. Believers, your mind is a battleground, and probably more than maybe you thought coming in today. Hopefully, we've illuminated that. Your mind is satanic in nature, it wants the flesh and yet you are you are a guard to guard your heart towards God. Understand the battle. How we think will feed our heart which results in how we act. Feed your heart right. Guard your heart. It's a daily if not hourly battle. Our actions when you see your actions are not right, they're not biblical, do not move on your own understanding rely on the Word of God, rely on His Spirit. That's where you go. That's what will change you. Your own mind will not. Proverbs, our text, 423, above all else, guard your heart, contain your heart, imprison your heart. Everything you do flows from it. Just a last piece of Scripture. 1 Peter 1, it's a great chapter about Christian living. And Peter here is being proactive. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Understand this battle is here. Don't think you've got it made. Don't think that you're not going to be tempted. The battle is in your front yard. It is in your mind. Be prepared. You're a guard. You've got weapons, divine weapons. You're prepared. You've got a manual. Be prepared. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will, will, (laughs) excuse me, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, Do not be conformed to the passions of the former ignorance. Don't let your will, your your fleshly desires overcome you. It's very similar to what Paul is saying. But as He who called you is holy, you yourself should be holy. Watch your conduct. Great passage. Now, Some of you here, if you're not a believer, this sermon might not have made a lot of sense. You might be like some of the disciples that follow Christ in John 6. You believe the Bible. um, You believe a number of things. But this whole heart stuff doesn't make a lot of sense to you. I would urge you to accept Christ. Fall on your knees. Confess. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus can cleanse your heart right now. You will have a pure heart in him. You've heard the battleground that we have still in this life. But he will be there to help you as we've seen. On the third day he rose, he defeated death. He died for you to pay the penalty for your wages of sin. He will glorify you, take you to heaven, and he will be with you as you battle here on earth. I urge you, if you don't know Christ, come to him. And if you have more questions or don't don't really know what I'm talking about, come see me, Peter, one of our other elders. After service, we'd be happy to talk with you. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, we praise you and thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. Because of that salvation, we can once again commune with you. We once and again have connection. We once again can have our hearts cleansed. We can see the word of God. We have the spirit to teach us and convict us. Thank you, Father, for the salvation we have in Christ. Thank you for being faithful to cleanse our hearts. When we are so wrapped up and dirty, we have nowhere else to turn. Father, you will cleanse our hearts when we fall and pray, searching for you and your will. Praise you for your word, Father. We We are lost without it. We are futile in our minds. Let your word today settle in our hearts. When we see our actions aren't correct, let us feed ourselves with your word, your spirit, and get right back with you. Move on our hearts. Father, if there's anyone here that is not saved, we pray that you will move on them this very hour, this very time. Call them to you your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.